Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a no-code approach to back office efficiency with Catalytic. On today's episode, we actually have Sean Chow, CEO of Catalytic, and Neil Bahadur, Head of Partnerships from Catalytic. Welcome, guys. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really excited about um, today's episode. I've been uh, talking to you guys for, uh, well, what, three or four weeks now, and um, I'm really excited to uncover what you guys bring to this I, it's actually a busy field of RPAs, and um, I'm, I'm really excited to find out uh, what's unique about you guys. Yeah, thanks. We're excited to be here, excited to talk about this topic. It's one that we love, and definitely talk endlessly about The technology lineage definitely comes from test automation, Excel macros, but the business lineage comes from outsourcing. In many ways, RPA is just outsourcing 2.0. I mean, that's really fundamentally what it's about, right? We are, that, that's like, I have very little interest in that space. You know, for me, what I view our lineage as is really software, right? It's just the next evolution of how you create custom software. And for us, being able to focus on the back office, and that's what allows us to be more pointed. That's what allows us to apply AI in a meaningful way, because if we go too broad, then we can't kind of narrow it down so that it's easy enough. So my personal interest with back office operations and efficiency, combined with that being narrow enough, is what allows us to kind of build something that really is accessible and no code. So tell tell me how you guys are using. I mean, we have a concept of actions. I can I can uh, thread actions together to create. Um, I don't know. Do you guys call them workflows or? Yeah, call it a workflow. A workflow. Um, how are you using AI to help with, with this? Because that's so a big a question ways. that everyone in the RPA industry in general is like, oh, we got to move to AI. And I'm like, okay, to do what? Yeah. Right? So yeah. how are you guys doing it? So we use AI in a couple of different ways. We're, first of all, we're very tactical about the way we use it. It's not like a magic wand for us. Um, we use it within the application to help reduce the need for expertise. Um, and, and an example there is when you are threading together these actions to create a workflow, one of the harder parts of learning any platform is understanding all of its capabilities. You know, uh, when you're new to a platform, especially one that's as capable and broad as ours, you, you just kind of don't know what you don't know. And so one of the ways we found to help offset that is by using natural language processing so that when people are typing the name of what they're trying to accomplish, send an email to Neil, we can, rather than, you know, hit them up with like a huge tome of reference commands, we can just use natural language processing to say and infer this is probably the action that will best help you accomplish this step. Right. So within the application, we use it as basically a way to improve the product experience and decrease the level of expertise necessary for using the application. Now, within building a workflow, and I think this is what people you know, tend to focus on more, is we have six different modules of 
uh, different actions. And each one of the modules are named something that kind of implies, you know, what, what it's intended to solve. So we have one called task and forms. We have one called data processing, document assembly, you know, and so forth. Um, within each one of these modules, we typically have a couple of different AI actions that people can use within their process. And a really simple example um, that is also very common now in, in RPA uh, solutions is OCR, right? So as part of my workflow, I can just run it through an OCR action. So my workflow can be that I receive something off, you know, a fax machine that gets digitized and then I run it through an OCR action that then converts it into digital text, right? Um, but other ones include things like sentiment analysis. So being able to get an email and being able to see whether or not the person was angry or not angry. There's a lot of natural language processing oriented ones where we're just trying to make it easier to work with human language. Um, and then there are a lot of things that are much less AI, much more focused on, you know, just really being utility types of actions, being able to, you give me an email address, I give you, you know, a whole bunch of information about this person based on their email address, right? Like that's more of a utility feature. Now then, because of the nature of our platform, when you build a workflow and you're threading together these actions, every action and every workflow is very data rich. So when you look at most back office processes, there's just a ton of data that flows through them. Right. And unfortunately, because of the way many back offices are constructed, it's the, the system view of data is very fragmented. So, you know, some of your customer data is sitting in your CRM, some of the payments data is sitting in like your AP system. Oh yeah. Right. Like it's scattered, right. Which, which is why integration is always such a big challenge and a big opportunity in a big space. But on our system, we don't have that kind of um, limited view. A workflow cuts across systems and it also captures email. It captures spreadsheets that are being sent. It's capturing everything. All right. So all the data that's being generated is being captured in our system. And what we do is that that is all stored in a self-managing table, a data table. And we make it incredibly easy to build machine learning models off of those data tables so that you can predict future outcomes of, of uh, other workflows. And so you're simultaneously training that machine learning model when you're using the platform to be able to help improve future runs of the platform. And a really simple example of this that I think a lot of people can relate to is email classification. So if I'm just getting or, or document classification, any sort of classification in general, but if I'm getting you know a bunch of emails and I'm coming in, today I might have someone performing a triage function. And they're just saying this email is an angry customer. This email is someone who wants a refund. This customer is, you know, someone who's confused and needs technical support. So someone's doing this sort of triage. Well, that triage is a classification function that's really easy to, I shouldn't say really easy, but is possible to replace with machine learning, right? And so on our platform, the mere fact that you might have a process where you're taking in the email and then you have someone actually doing this triage action you are training up a machine learning algorithm to be able to do that in the future. I, I think also the other so, question, 
not, not to not to answer the question with a question, but I think a lot of it is the why do people care about using AI in the first place? Is it because it's a because word? it's it's cool and sexy? That's it's why, cool, right? It's, it's right. Like but the point is, but the point is, like, if there's a specific driver behind why AI is advantageous, it usually falls into categories like, well, we want increased efficiency, or you know, we want better insight, or we want better visibility. And I think where, where we went with that is let's actually make it easier to use AI in the right places to get to those outcomes versus saying, hey, we now have AI added in there. And so now you can claim that you're doing AI simply by virtue of adopting a platform, right? So I think a lot of it is asking those questions about what does AI actually mean for you? Because I think you've seen people like, you know, I think Alteryx is a place that's taken a stance on how to make you know, data analysis and bringing AI in that context in and putting that in the hands of people. I think we want to be able to do the same thing, but in the very specific context of how you're going to use it to drive efficiency or drive operation. I want to go back to a little bit on the, the data table and the machine learning aspect. So if I'm using the catalytic system, it's learning my processes. It's learning inefficiencies in my processes. It's so are you guys saying that you could actually make suggestions then and saying, hey, we noticed that you're yeah. doing these extra steps that don't need to happen. Or so or maybe even yeah. uncover hidden pro hidden ad hoc processes that exist in my systems. So that that whole that entire line of thinking goes into what we call operational intelligence. And, and that's actually one of the benefits of us focusing our technology on operations is that we, we know that there are key metrics that people need to be looking at when they're talking about operations. And it's primarily mistakes and cycle times, right? And because we know when tasks are occurring and how long it takes between tasks, we actually are able to say, oh, here's where a lot of mistakes are happening. Here's a cycle time. When you see variable cycle time, that probably means there's an opportunity for tightening that up and improving it. Or when you see very long cycle times, you can dig in and see what the problems are. But that operational intelligence is really captured in our platform through a feature that we call insights. So every workflow has a tab on it called insights where you can flip to and it tells you this is how long it takes for all the different steps. This is how often they break or don't work. And whether that's because a human makes a mistake or an integration fails all the time or whatever the underlying cause is, you know, it doesn't matter, but it gives you your opportunities for improvements. And that is at the same time that machine learning algorithm can start learning to predict the outcomes of, you know, field values. So. That this is one of those interesting cases where machine learning can be used in multiple different ways and they're related, but they're actually not the same on our platform. No, that, that makes sense. I, I love how you guys have taken machine learning and AI to help an individual, right? To build out, build out a workflow as well as kind of in the back of, of this yeah. as well. Um, in, in, in a previous podcast that I gave on RPAs in general, I talked about RPAs as a stopgap because I always yes. saw them as a stopgap of until I could bring in a real software engineer to come and, you know, 
really do the integration between two tools, right? Because we, we jam people in the middle of things that are too hard to integrate. That's what we do, yeah. right? But this your, so your guys' approach is very different though. Because totally. I, I totally. could take your guys' approach and, and replicate it and reuse it. So in your guys' approach, I wouldn't necessarily want to re, uh, come in and replace that with the software interface because you guys, I, I, I love your approach because it's reusable, it's extendable and, and all that. And, and we provide a software interface. So the other, you're going down this, um, this great path that we love to talk about, which is, you know, why, why are we as a business technology community here? Because we haven't, we've been investing in technology and digitization and systems for, you know, two, three, four decades, right? Like this is not new. We never show up somewhere and people are like, oh, I have no technology. Can you, you know, no, that's not the case anymore. <laughs> like, that, that doesn't exist there, anywhere. There are Where's no green have? fields. No, <laughs> no, not, not at all. Everyone has not just enough systems. Almost everyone feels they have too many systems. Right. right? And so the question isn't, you know, who's going to come up with like a new MacGuffin? There's no more new things to come up with, probably. The question is, do you think there's still this last mile gap, right? We've made investment after investment in these different technologies. And yet most of the customers that we talk to, most prospects that we talk to still feel like there's still some sort of gap that exists between all of the investments that they've made and the business outcomes that they want. And the way they fill that gap today is with people, right? And, and so RPA's answer is, well, you're filling them with people. Let us help you fill out at least a portion of them with, you know, bots. And, and that was, by the way, the exact same thing. The real yeah. introduction here is people is a proxy that's commonly used, but people really means bad software, right? When you think about what people tasks truly are, they're actually just bad software tasks. I'm doing, because a, a people task oh. in the modern workplace isn't actually done in physical space. It's still done at a computer. So a people task is I'm doing something in a software that I feel I have to do that is extra work that the software ought to do for me. So when people say it's a people uh -huh. task, they're really saying I'm copying and I'm pasting something somewhere. I'm going into an email. I'm, I'm doing something at a computer that I have to do by hand at a computer, right? It's, ne it's still never like physical space, people tasks that can never be eliminated. It's human work being done in bad software. And I think what we're doing is shining a light on the fact that people are actually working in bad software that is considered non-software because you're not attaching it to some kind of product logo, right? Every work that I do that's in Excel, that's a temporary workaround for some other system is kind <laughs> of like fake software yeah. work that's being done, but it's still an intermediary piece of software that I'm using to make up for a shortcoming in my ERP or in my CRM or any of that. Yeah, I, I, I have this problem even with producing my podcast, getting it pushed out to all the platforms that I need to um, through the in, Intel marketing and all this stuff. I have to go to five different systems, type in the same stuff, and it's because no forethought was put on the integration of all the stuff up front. It's it's not a manual task. It is not unwrapping a green screen and putting it behind your chair. No, it's not. It's copying yeah. and pasting something from one system to another. And if yeah. the software worked the way that you wanted it to work, 
you would never have that people task in the week in the first. I, correct. And, and it's also the addition of new software into processes. I'm going yes. to add this software to make your life easier. Oh, really? You just added five more steps. Let, let me start right. by putting you through three weeks of training so that you can learn how to use the new yeah. software that's making yeah. your life easier. Right. Uh, which, you know, I understand because there's some back office things that, you know, they want to have. They want to have metrics. They want, and, and that's why people do things, right? They, um, there's some back office reason, whether it's integrating into our Salesforce um, um, instance, or ERP system. So anything I do now, they want to be able to track, but they want me to manually put all this stuff in. Well, and, and I think so. a lot of it has to do with scale, right? So if you think about if I'm a software provider <clears throat> and I'm even solving a problem for three customers, the number of trade-offs that I have to make will mean that whatever I create won't work 100% of the way for three. That's correct, yeah. Most big ERP or CRM providers have a little bit more than three customers, right? So their ability to personalize that experience in a way that works for each individual buyer is it's an impossible task, right? We would never expect that of them. And so people are just used to knowing that they're gonna buy. And so like the perfect period at the end of the sentence is how many IT leaders do you talk to where they say, I'm gonna roll out a brand new ERP that's going to give me all sorts of benefits back. I'm planning 18 months of effort for the work. It is a thing that is designed to make my life easier. I am literally buying this thing off the shelf. I'm spending eight to nine figures on this thing, and I'm going to commit two years of my life to seeing any value out of that project. It's yeah. already an understood part of that. Buying. Yeah, it's, it's great. In fact, there was one company that did a case study in business school on this. They deployed an ERP system out of the box in three months, at a fraction of the cost. And you know how they did it? They took the standard processes that were in the ERP system and they changed their business processes to match it. You meet, you meet, you meet the software where the software is or you have to mold the software to fit your business. And I think where we've seen the value in that WordPress type of story is if you actually had that power in the hands of the thousands of employees that you have that are already in the business, you could actually have truly personalized software for right. everything that you do. You do it on the critically important things, right? No bank on the planet is using a commercial off-the-shelf software to manage trades. Everybody has made does their, their own, own unique product, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because it's too critical to risk having it being done somewhere else. We want to put that same superpower in play for any business process. Why should it be limited only to your most narrow set of things at the top of your curve? Right. I I really love your guys's approach. It's it's unique um, in this. I, I want to say you're automating the back the back office, but you're efficient efficient. I, I will make up a word, right? You were, you know, the, the going back to your question or your comment about RPA being a stopgap. The reason why you, that's evident to you is because probably your familiarity with testing automation software. You know that every time you change the interface, that thing breaks. And Absolutely. Yep. And so it seems like it's going to be a lower cost alternative to paying people. And that's not even quite clear if that's always the case. Whereas what we're really focusing on and what your more robust solution is, is you know digital infrastructure, right? Like what are you actually building? And on our platform, you're really building it with APIs, you're building it with you know actual working with files, you're building it with things that are sustainable and not this kind of fragile band-aid over 
a bunch of poorly designed systems that might change right away. Might be pulled out from underneath you. Well, yeah. In 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 my podcast I did on RPAs, I talked about change and how do you manage change. So I put a whole DevOps pipeline in there to say, hey, it, before I roll out new Excel. I've got to run all my RPA bots that were using Excel. I got to run them against that to make sure it still works before I yeah. roll Excel. The interesting thing about the way that that RPA can actually play a great role on the other side, right? So, so <clears throat> we've kind of talked about the fr the fragility of it. I think the advantage on the other side is if you actually combine it with actions, it becomes actually very powerful. So, if what I'm saying is every time I modify this one box in this particular screen in this particular interface. That's going to be one click that I have in an RPA bot that I've now wrapped inside of an action. Now, if I go and build 25 processes, it's that same action that I'm using in all 25 processes. The inverse of that is I make 25 unique RPA unique, bots. Yeah. And so if that screen changes, I got to fix 25 things. And by the way, I remember to fix 20. The other five, I only notice when I get an angry note from a customer, right? <laughs> but if I do so it the true. other way around, when the screen changes, I just change my one action and now the other 25 things work exactly the way they're designed to work. Right. I think that the two play well with each other. And that's why we say a lot about, you know, we, we understand and appreciate what RPA does. We think that approaching it through the lens of actions makes it a lot more powerful. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.